Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Today we're talking about something that is so much more than the little black dress of psychosocial well-being. We're talking about mindfulness as more than a social or modern lifestyle trend. My first guest writes books on the subject. He writes lots of different things. But Dr. Danny Penman is a certified meditation teacher and an award-winning writer and journalist. He is co-author of The Million-Selling Mindfulness, an eight-week plan for finding peace in a frantic world. His books have been translated into more than 30 languages. His journalism has appeared in The Daily Mail, New Scientist, The Guardian, CNN, and BBC. He trained to teach mindfulness with the acclaimed Breathworks. And the book we're talking about today is The Art of Breathing, The Secret to Living Mindfully. Welcome, Dr. Danny Penman. Thanks for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, well, you've been here before, and I'm so happy to have you back because the book that you've written is absolutely gorgeous. It's so beautiful visually, and I've never seen a book quite like this, actually. Oh, good. (laughs) That's good to hear. (laughs) Um, What exactly is mindfulness for the naysayers and curious ones out there? Well, mindfulness is quite simply full conscious awareness of whatever is going through your mind whatever thoughts feelings and emotions are flowing through your mind and your body and whatever is going on around you and it's uh, it's as simple as that really and when we talk about contemporary mindfulness because it's a buzzword in america we see it on car commercials and insurance commercials everybody's tapping into it as part of their marketing but yeah. in reality um, mindfulness is a more than 2,000 years old. It is. I mean, it's, well, it's at least two and a half thousand years old. Um, it was first uh, recorded, as it were, by by the ancient Buddhists, uh, taught the very simplest meditations were either discovered or, or invented by the Buddha. But it's present throughout all religions, uh, both Christianity, um, Islam, Judaism, um, and obviously Hinduism as well. So it's present in all religions. Um, But it's not actually a religious practice. It's simply a way of calming and clarifying the mind so that you can see how the mind works, so it helps you see the world and creation, really, uh, more clearly. And Traditionally, that was used for, I suppose, religious purposes, um, serves a similar function to uh, in prayer, prayer in some ways. But it's not actually a religious practice. You know, Atheists are perfectly happy uh, to use mindfulness meditation because it is brilliant, uh, for obviously, for calming and soothing the mind and our frayed nerves. But it's also uh, it's good for enhancing clarity of thought. 
uh, enhancing creativity. And there's a massive amount of scientific evidence now that uh, it is at least as good as drugs or counselling for relieving anxiety, stress and depression. Yes, that's where I was going next with my question, because mindfulness has been known to lower resting heart rate, uh, blood pressure. Of course, you mentioned relieving anxiety and depression. It Mm. also helps restore and reset the brain. It does. It does. Um, There is something uh, tremendously soothing about even the simplest meditations that focus focus on the breath. Um, It tends to stimulate what's known as the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the calming aspect of of, of our nervous system. Um, It's also uh, because it kind of calms and soothes uh, the brain. It helps us see things more clearly. It puts things in the perspective. So even if you are um, currently depressed or extremely anxious or stressed, for example, by broadening awareness, it puts your current problems into a far uh, broader context. And that has the effect really of diluting your problems. And perhaps crucially, it shows how the mind has a tendency to tie itself in knots. So that if you have, yes, we all do it. Uh, you, you know, if you have, if you have an unhappy thought, it will trigger more unhappy thoughts. And before you know it, you can start to feel thoroughly miserable and wretched. And mindfulness, if practiced regularly, helps you see the start of that process. So you see the first negative thoughts as they appear in your mind. And something that miraculous can then happen is when you see your thoughts and your brain in action, those negative thoughts just run into the sand. You know, they just, uh, they stop triggering more negative thoughts. They just actually just stop and dissolve, leaving behind this kind of far happier and calmer and clearer mindset. Your new book, The Art of Breathing, The Secret to Living Mindfully, really distills this down to the root of the practice, which Mm. is the the breath. And I want to just read a quote from the book, which I think really um, summarizes what we're saying here. When you've mastered the art of breathing, you will finally be at peace with yourself and the world. Yes, uh, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't. That sounds very arrogant, doesn't it? But you know, uh, certain words when I was writing that book resonated with me, and that's uh, yeah, that passage is one of them. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the art of breathing, because most of us think of mindfulness. We go to meditations, we go to uh, saffron-robed um, uh, gurus, and really, when we distill it to the breath, it's something very simple. It is. Um, you know, the oldest and simplest meditation of all is quite simply focusing on the breath. And, you know, this has been used for thousands of years, um, you know, uh, to teach uh, pe- people the basis of mindfulness. And what I wanted to do is take those elements that, you know, the very simplest meditations and the very simplest ideas from mindfulness and turn them into a book that people could read quite easily and quickly. Because my previous books have all been based around eight-week programs. And they're, they're all based on um, uh, programs that have been developed in predominantly British universities and are used across our health system to help people cope with anxiety, stress, and depression, and also chronic pain. But if you're not actually suffering from acute stress or clinical level stress and depression and simply just want to be a little happier with yourself and and more comfortable with your life or perhaps want to ward off future problems, you know, you need far simpler practices, uh, easier practices. And um, that's what the art of breathing is aimed at, really. It's, uh, you know, to help people ward off problems in the future. Many people come to mindfulness uh, when there is a crisis or a a Mm. life-altering event. Talk a little bit about that and your journey to mindfulness, your personal journey. Yes. um, About 10 years ago, um, I was uh, flying a paraglider 
over, over a range of hills in southern England called the Cotswolds. Um, I've always been a really keen paraglider pilot. You know, I just love flying. Um, and this day, about 10 years ago, my canopy collapsed and I fell uh, about initially about 80 feet, uh, tumbled head over heels and slammed into the hillside. Um, now, luckily, I landed on my feet, but uh, unluckily, the lower half of my right leg was uh, driven through the knee and into my thigh. So this was a really horrible accident, you know, and you can imagine the kind of pain that, um, that I was suffering. And after, very quickly, I remembered a meditation I had learned um, when I was a teenager. I'd actually been taught it um, in, in high school. And we've been taught it as part of the program, you know, for relieving uh, uh, stress, you know, during exams and that kind of thing. And over the years, I'd used it um, off and on to cope with the normal ups and downs of, of daily life. I found it quite effective. Somewhere along the line, I'd heard that it had been used for pain relief. Now, in sheer desperation, I, I used this very simple breathing meditation to help me cope with the pain uh, whilst an ambulance arrived. And much to my surprise, it began to work. So it was very simple, just focusing on the sensations of the air as it flowed in and out of my body. And uh, surprisingly quickly, you know, the pain began to diminish. I uh, kind of maintained control over the situation. And uh, I then went, obviously, to hospital. I spent a month in hospital, and I had what's known as a Taylor spatial frame fitted to my leg. And this consisted of uh, three or four concentric titanium rings around the outside of my leg and 16 wires and bolts that went through one side of my leg and out the other. And it allowed the surgeons to move all the fragments of bone around inside my leg. Um, I was in hospital for a long time and had this on for six, uh, five or six months, found it hugely effective. Danny, let's jump off to the break. When we come back, yeah. I want to, well, I want you to share more about the yeah. story because it's, yes. I think this is a very, uh, very interesting one and um, it, yeah. it, it will, it will unfold the rest of the story. To yes. learn more, please visit franticworld.com. On Facebook, you can find Danny at mindfulness hyphen yeah finding peace in a frantic world. There is a hyphen between each of those words, mindfulness, finding peace in a frantic world. And on Twitter at Dr. Danny Penman. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Wait, wait, wait. Before we go to break, I want to talk with you about being taken care of. We all want, need, and deserve a little TLC. Today's sponsor, Care Of, helps me take better care of myself with vitamin supplementation that has boosted my energy and supports my body with the right nutrients for improved long-term health. Care Of makes it fun, quick, and easy to figure out what vitamins and supplements you specifically need with its online quiz. Care Of will then deliver a 30-day supply of your personal vitamin supplements with your name on it to arrive at your door. What I love about my Care Of subscription is that it's personalized based on my health goals, and I really enjoy the individual grab-and-go packets that are super convenient for travel. And all of this goodness costs about 20% less than similar store-bought brands. So why not take better care of yourself today? Listeners of Harvesting Happiness will receive 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Visit TakeCareOf.com and be sure to enter the promo code HAPPINESS at checkout. Once again, that's TakeCareOf.com and use the promo code HAPPINESS. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if... Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? 
not having enough money, enough time, enough space. The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about the art of breathing with Dr. Danny Penman. So, Danny, prior to the break, we were talking about the story that led you more deeply into mindfulness. But it sounds like that the seed was planted when you were a young boy. It was indeed. Um I, obviously, we had some teachers in school that were hugely um, forward-looking. Um, this was the mid-80s, so I suppose these ideas had started trickling into mainstream culture, in a way. Um, and when I was in hospital with my injuries, I um, became increasingly intrigued by the power it was having over me because I managed to reduce my painkiller intake by two-thirds, uh, my um, healing accelerated dramatically, um, so much so that um, I actually had uh, my the, the, the frame removed from my leg after I think it was about five or six months, uh, whereas the surgeon told me to I would have it on for 20 to 24 months. So this was having a hugely beneficial effect on not just my mind but on my body with my healing rate accelerating dramatically wow yeah i know i know it's ex <laughs> <Wow>. extraordinary time <laughs> best not repeat it though i think um and i had a lot of time on my hands during this period so i sought out uh, I, I started to do a lot more research on mindfulness meditation and i sought out a uh, a researcher at Oxford University uh, who was uh, is known as Professor Mark Williams, and he had turned this technique into a treatment for the worst forms of depression, and it was just being rolled out across the UK's National Health Service because several clinical trials had proven that it was at least as good as drugs or counselling for the treatment of the worst forms of depression and an organization known as the national institute for health and care excellence which which kind of validates treatment used across our health system had just endorsed it uh saying it you know it is very effective for the worst forms of depression so i uh decided to persuade mark you know to take his ideas and turn it into a book and a program that ordinary people could use, you know, people who may not be chronically depressed, but were nevertheless feeling you know, deeply unhappy or stressed or anxious. And that turned into the book uh, Mindfulness, which you mentioned earlier, uh, Mindfulness, Finding Peace in a Frantic World. And much to our surprise, and you know, I genuinely mean this, much to our surprise, it suddenly took off. You know, we, we obviously caught that wave. Uh, there was obviously a, a, a real need for, for this book and this program. And, uh, you know, it just suddenly took off uh, right, right across the world, really. And uh, so we're, you know, we were pleasantly surprised, let's put it that way. And, yeah, I did indeed. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I always felt it was one of those books that I always just felt it had to be written. You know, it was like it was screaming to be written. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I really didn't expect it to be successful, but I just could not write it with Mark. You know, Mark felt the same way. 
what's interesting about the, the, the first book, because you came and joined us when that book uh, was published, is that people want to understand the technology, but some people might be adverse to receiving it from uh, uh, what they consider woo-woo or a spiritual bent that may be uh, in conflict or unknown to their own. So yes. from the perspective, as I see it, where your success lies is being able to come at it from a scientific perspective and appeal to the average person, to everyone. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very important that in a way it's kind of westernized. You know, these, these a lot of these techniques have their um, origins in the East. But I think uh, uh, this, I don't, do, don't wish to criticize um, Buddhist monks at all, but uh, it doesn't chime with uh, the way many ordinary people think and feel. And so we decided, you know, these ideas are so important we've got to present it in a nice rational secular way that people can just understand uh, because in a way you know science is our religion science is the religion of the west um and if you present it in those terms uh, you know nice solid rational uh, on a nice solid rational basis then i think people will just you know soak it up more effectively and then go off and do the practices and then they will see for themselves just how effective they are. Yeah. Seeing and feeling is is believing. Yeah. Would you be willing to read a passage from The Art of Breathing? Yes. Um, if you could imagine I just uh, hit the hillside at a uh, very high speed, and suddenly I'd manage to start breathing again. Um, and then this passage follows on from that. The Art of Breathing saved my life. For thousands of years, people have used the art of breathing for equally profound effects on the mind and body. Some have used it for relief from chronic pain, many more to cope with anxiety, stress and depression. Some claim it led to spiritual enlightenment, but I'm as spiritual as a house brick. So I use it to help me appreciate the bittersweet beauty of everyday life. Mm. That's uh, I, I love that. <laughs> you said about <laughs> your spirituality is out as spiritual as a house brick. Yes. But I, th th this is the beauty of the practice. One does not have to have a belief in anything yeah. in order to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is entirely natural. We can all do it. Uh, it is only ever a single breath away. Uh, all you need to do is just, uh, you know, be introduced to this technique. Uh, it takes you literally seconds to learn and away you go. Your life will never be the same again. I, I agree. I'm a practitioner. I have been for many years. Talk about how you would uh, teach or approach the beginner. How? What meditation would you recommend? Is it simply just the breath? Yes. I mean, this is the simple, simplest and one of the most powerful techniques of all. So um, if you have a moment or so, um, if you could sit on a straight-backed chair with your feet flat on the floor, and with your spine about an inch or two from the back of the chair and your hands loosely in your lap and then just gently close your eyes and focus on the sensations of breathing wherever those sensations are the strongest just feel the air flowing in and out and after a few moments your mind will begin to wander. And this is entirely normal. And when your mind wanders and you realize you it's wandered, just gently bring your awareness back to the sensations of breathing. And you can just continue doing that for just a few minutes, ideally five to 10 minutes, then very quickly you will become far calmer and happier with yourself and in your body and your own skin. And you can download um, most of the meditations from, from The Art of Breathing from my website, completely free. So just go to franticworld.com and uh, have a route around and you'll, you'll find the free meditations. Yay. 
<laughs> you have such a lovely voice. I was I was doing it as you just were, were going through it. For some people, I find as beginners, holding something is very helpful. You know, just uh, like a, a talisman or a stone that, that, that yeah. the breath is more difficult to focus on for some. Yeah. So that's yeah. another way of doing it, but equally as simple. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the great thing is uh, with mindfulness, you can meditate anywhere and on any object at all. Um, the great thing about the breath is it's always with you. Um, mm. But equally, um, if you're stuck in a line somewhere, you know, just focus on how your feet feel as you're standing in the line. Um, uh, feel the kind of impatience building in, in your body and then watch it dissipate. Um, maybe if you're walking down the street, just feel the way your body moves as you walk down the street. Um, if you're eating, you know, focus on the sensations of eating and all the flavors and the smells, um, and, uh, you know, whatever you notice as you eat, just focus on, on those sensations. Um, you, if you're drinking, you know, a cup of tea or coffee, you can focus on that. You can do you know, a mindful coffee meditation if you want. Um, it really is, you know, mindfulness is always with you. It's only ever a single breath away. Yes. And what's interesting is when you think about the present, which mindfulness is a, about bringing oneself fully into the present moment, because yeah. in the present moment, 99.9 tenths percent of the time, everything is okay yes yes um but even even then if if everything isn't okay for example uh, mindfulness is used for for chronic pain um you will find that even if you are in pain there are quite long periods where the pain is diminishing uh, or there is actually no pain at all <clears throat> and you come to understand that uh, you know pain like everything else just rises and falls and um, and in those calm spaces in between, you know, you can find kind of peace. So, you know, it's it, this is the great power of meditation. And when you speak of pain, I'd love to touch on that for a moment, because as humans, we are generally fearful of pain. We abhor yes. pain. Yes. And the resistance to pain when pain is present makes more pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it works on two levels um it's most obvious with um if you suffer from chronic pain uh, because the brain begins to rewire itself to actually feel the sensations of pain more effectively uh, it sounds paradoxical it sounds completely crazy but whatever your brain focuses on uh, it trains itself to to uh to feel it more effectively so if you focus on the pleasant things in life, uh, you begin to um, notice more pleasant things and feel pleasant sensations more effectively. And if you are constantly focused on pain, um, you know, your pain centers will, uh, will literally increase in size over time. Oh. And uh, what mindfulness does um, is essentially begins the process of rewiring your brain in the other direction so the pain becomes less intense uh, it turns down the thermostat in your brain your pain thermostat as it mm. were yeah uh, yes, yes. I, I like that i like the visual on that turning yeah. <laughs> yes yeah. Yeah. yeah and you know it's it, it is you you will often get quite significant initial relief but it really is effective over a longer period of time you know as the days turn into weeks and the weeks into months um you can get massive reductions in pain you know uh several clinical trials now have shown that uh, you can pretty much halve the intensity of chronic pain through mindfulness meditation and some people have managed to reduce their pain by around 90 percent which is uh, which is pretty good really amazing actually yes I've had the great pleasure of hanging out with Dr. Danny Penman, who is the author of The Art of Breathing, The Secret to Living Mindfully. Danny, thank you for coming out today. <laughs> that was great. No, no, I, I really, you know, I, I, I just love talking about mindfulness and, you know, trying to get, get these ideas to as many people as possible, really. 
I'm a convert. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, myself as well. Uh, to learn more, please visit Danny over at franticworld.com where there are loads of meditations available there. Um, on Twitter, you can connect with him at Dr. Danny Penman. And on Facebook, um, I also have a page of Dr. Danny Penman. Thank you very much. Speak again sometime, hopefully. Yes, we will. Um, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to jump off to a break and we'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about mindfulness as more than just a social construct or lifestyle trend. My next guest is Dr. Susan Shumsky, who has dedicated her life to helping people take command of their lives in highly effective, powerful, and positive ways. Dr. Shumsky is the best-selling author of 14 books, a pioneer in the field of human potential, and has spent 50 years teaching thousands of people meditation, prayer, affirmation, and intuition. Dr. Shumsky is a highly respected spiritual teacher, award-winning author, and founder of Divine Revelation, a unique field-proven technology for contacting the divine presence, hearing and testing the inner voice, and receiving clear divine guidance. For 22 years, her mentor was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who was guru of the Beatles and guru of Deepak Chopra. She's also the author of her newest book, Maharishi and Me, Seeking Enlightenment with the Beatles Guru. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for joining us. I'm so excited to be here with you today, Lisa. Likewise. And for, for many of us of a certain age, we know who Maharishi Mahesh Yogi is or was. <laughs> right, a certain age, yeah. <laughs> yes, and we'll just leave it at that, a certain exactly. age. <laughs> but for right. those who are of the other certain age, they, they don't know who this person was. So right. maybe give us a little history. Well, in 1959, when Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, a guru from India, when he arrived on the shores of America, there was no such thing as meditation, mantra, yoga. None of that existed in the West. Within 10 years, he made those into household words. He founded something called transcendental meditation, which not, is not a generic term. In fact, it is an actual trademarked process and practice that he taught, and he taught 6 million people Transcendental Meditation, not personally, but through 40,000 teachers that he made or that he created through doing a lot of teacher training courses. So he's the founder of TM. He's the guru of many superstar celebrities. And in my book, Maharishi and Me, in the appendix, I've listed 250 of those celebrities. You'd be really surprised at the list. Yes, it's a very long list. It is, indeed. And for those of you who are wondering, well, what the heck is Transcendental Meditation? It's, it's my understanding that this is really a mantra-based meditation. 
Right. Yes. Uh, TM is done in the following way. You just sit down, close your eyes, and you use something called a mantra, which is a sound or a word that you repeat in your mind quietly. And that word takes you into a quieter and quieter state. It takes you from the surface level of the mind into the deeper and deeper levels of the mind and then into a state that Maharishi used to call transcendental consciousness, which is beyond the mind. Actually, it's beyond duality. It's a state of wholeness, a state of perfection, a state of very deep relaxation and deep peace and unbounded awareness. And it's really easy to practice the technique of transcendental meditation, and anyone can do it. Maharishi used to always say that if you can think a thought, you can practice TM. Mm. I have to say that I agree with that <laughs> because <laughs> I, I am trained in TM. I, I've done it for many years. Right. Um, I, I enjoy meditation myself of, of many different kinds, and this is just one. But you say that being on the international staff, Maharishi, was both heaven and hell because you spent several years with him. Explain what that means. Right. Well, when you go to study with a spiritual master from India, there's like an unspoken contract. And that contract says, and Maharishi used to say, by the way, he used to say that he's the carpenter and his disciples are pieces of wood. Okay, so if you're a piece of wood being carved up by a carved <laughs> away at by a carpenter, it's a little uncomfortable because you're stepping out of your comfort zone. You're stepping out of your little envelope, your box that you've been living in. And that guru is going to change you in very dramatic ways. And so it's not necessarily fun to go through these ego smashing experiences that take place because spiritual enlightenment is defined as quote unquote ego less. So obviously, if you're, you know, in, in order for you to become spiritually awakened, the ego has to be smashed. And so it's a devastating and shattering experience when you're going through what is often what I often describe as ego, open ego surgery, which is what Maharishi performed on those of us who were very close to him. I'm not talking about people who just learn TM from a teacher and they practice 20 minutes twice a day uh, and they go on and you know live their lives. Uh, TM is just a, a wonderful adjunct to their lives. But those who actually go to live in close proximity with a spiritual master, they're signing up for something quite different. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I, I actually and, can and I imagine. Only, I only really describe the hell part. The heaven part is when he put his attention on you, it was the most heavenly experience you could ever possibly have because he had this amazing energy field and these waves of love would exude from him. And it was more love than you could ever imagine. And you felt this incredible waves of energy that are, that it's like they're lifting you into a higher consciousness and you're feeling these waves of bliss. I don't know how else to describe it except waves of bliss. And when you talk about um, the Beatles and their relationship with Maharishi and TM, um, talk a little bit about the evolution of that relationship and then the Beatles leaving India in a huff. Well, yeah, the Beatles learned transcendental meditation in late August of 1967. And they went to India in February of 1968, 50 years ago. And they were very keen on meditation. In fact, they wanted to spread it throughout England. They wanted to set up meditation centers. They wanted to perhaps go on a tour to, quote unquote, turn people on to TM. And they defended Maharishi in the press uh, during the latter part of 1967, including David Frost program and other programs in England. And they went to India. They had wonderful experiences. 
Ringo only stayed for a couple weeks. Paul stayed for a month. And John and George stayed for two months. And then, yes, they, John and George left India in a huff because there were actually three reasons why they left. One had to do with a film deal gone south. Another had to do with apparently an apparent pass that Maharishi had made on one of the course participants. <laughs> and by the way, it had nothing to do with Mia Farrow. Mia Farrow had already left India a month previously. She left on March 7th. And the Beatles left on April 10th or 11th, depending on if you're in India or America. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they, they left in a huff because of those two reasons. And then there was a third reason that came out, well, not until 2006 did the third reason actually emerge, which had to do with the possibility that Maharishi actually asked the Beatles to leave because they were taking drugs and alcohol in the ashram, and that is not allowed. So uh-huh. it's quite a complicated story, but there are three reasons why they left India. You know, speaking about Maharishi and bringing the work to America, because I've observed some of the old videos of his talks, and I'm thinking in particular one that took place at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this, well, this guy was really uh, quite a marketer. You know, he was one of the first that really Mm -hmm. understood the power of recording those lectures and then marketing those lectures and the word of mouth social media back in its early infancy, really. Yes. I mean, he recorded all everything. Uh, video recording was really, he was at the forefront of video recording, frankly. Yes. Uh, there, there was an entire huge tape library. I worked on the international staff for six years and at one point, I transcribed some of those videotapes. So he was really into videotaping and transcribing everything and making a record, everything, making tape libraries. And video was very, very important to him. And he realized, yes, he realized the importance of using that modality to spread his message. And there was no social media back then. It was just all word of mouth kind of things. And, you know, on international staff, I worked in Europe, actually. I was in Austria, Spain, Mallorca, Italy, mostly in Switzerland. And during that period of time, thousands and thousands of people would come to take teacher training courses with Maharishi. He was extremely famous in the 1970s. He was on the cover of every major magazine, Time, Saturday Evening Post, Life, Look, and so on. And he was on the Johnny Carson show, The Tonight Show. Uh, He was on there several times. And on Merv Griffin, he was a regular guest on the Merv Griffin show as well. So, yeah, he really utilized the media and he utilized the Beatles, frankly, as well. In fact, he uh, he used the Beatles' names without their permission to sell one his one of his record albums that he made. It said it was a he announced on the record album that he was the teacher of the Beatles or guru of the Beatles, something like that, spiritual teacher of the Beatles. And also, he kept he <laughs> this is strange, but he kept uh, kept telling ABC or promising ABC that he would do a special with the Beatles. And he kept telling ABC over and over and over that he would do that, even though the Beatles told him again and again and again that they would not do it. Finally, uh, finally, Paul McCartney and George Harrison flew to Sweden, where Maharishi happened to be at that time, along with Peter Brown, and and told Maharishi, cut, cut it out, stop telling ABC Uh, that we're going to do a special because we're not. Susan, we're going to need to take that break. And when we come back, I want to hear more. Um, To learn more about the work of Dr. Susan Shumsky and to learn about her book, 
Maharishi and me seeking enlightenment with the Beatles guru, please visit www.divinerevelation.org, on Twitter at Susan Shumsky, and on Facebook, Susan Shumsky. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. I'm continuing a delightful conversation with Dr. Susan Shumsky about her newest book, Maharishi and Me, Seeking Enlightenment with the Beatles Guru. So, Susan, before the break, you were telling me, or telling us, rather, about the hot water that uh, Maharishi might have gotten himself into promising the Beatles support in ways that they were not prepared to deliver. Yeah, that's true. There was, uh, he promised an ABC special that the Beatles refused to do. And also, <laughs> strangely, he promised the Beatles Apple Corps, their, um, their company, exclusive rights to do a film with him. But he had promised the same exclusive rights to someone else to four star productions in Los Angeles. In fact, there was a signed contract with four star productions that gave permission to film Maharishi exclusive permission for the next five years. So when that film crew arrived in Rishikesh, the Beatles were stunned to find out that they were supposed to be two bit players in Maharishi's other film. And so they refused to leave their bungalows and refused to go to the lecture hall where the cameras were set up and the lighting was set up. And in fact, uh, John Lennon woke up this morning, one morning, came out of his bungalow, was at the threshold of the door, bedheaded, bleary eyed. And there was a director and a cameraman yelling, action. So it was... That was uh, very strange, and that was one of the reasons why they left Rishikesh. Wow. You were with the organization for several years, as you mentioned, and you departed. What, what caused you to leave? Yes, I was in the organization for 22 years, and I was on Maharishi's personal staff for six of those years. And I left uh, for a few reasons. One of the reasons was that I wanted to teach this other a form of meditation that I really enjoy and that I practice and that I teach called divine revelation. So that was probably the main reason why I left. Um, another reason had to do with really my, my uh, home that I had bought in Fairfield, which I couldn't afford to continue to pay the mortgage on. In any case, there were several reasons, but I did leave and, and, I'm glad that I did. It was time for me to go, and uh, it was all all good. Maharishi has left uh, a great legacy, uh, and really, I think, contributed 
to meditation becoming relevant today and, and its popularity? Yeah, he's done a lot more than that. In the, in the 20th century, the world was in a completely different place. Uh, I don't know if people realize how many millions of people were killed during the bloodbath that was the 20th century. 40 million people killed in World War One. 70 million people killed in World War Two. I mean, <laughs> those statistics are stunning. And then tens of millions of people killed in Vietnam and in Korea. That is not the state of our world today. Uh, the world, the entire vibration of the world has lifted significantly since mid tw- mid 20th century. And I have to say that a lot of that is due to the fact that Maharishi brought meditation to the West. Now, people might think and might say, oh, well, how is that related? Well, it's very much related. As Maharishi always used to say, in order for the forest to be green, the trees must be green. In order for the world to be at peace, individuals must be at peace. So his goal was to create world peace through teaching as many people as possible to meditate so that they could be calm and peaceful because there's no other way to have a peaceful world other than having peaceful individuals. I completely agree with his philosophy. Indeed. Talk a little bit about some of the other celebrities um, that were part of the TM movement and Maharishi devotees. Well, there was Deepak Chopra, Andy Kaufman, John Gray, Doug Henning, and, you know, like hundreds of others, Jerry Seinfeld, Howard Stern, uh, Clint Eastwood, David Lynch, of course, who's founded the David Lynch Lynch Foundation now, which is gaining a tremendous foothold in uh, celebrities in Hollywood. A lot of celebrities have learned transcendental meditation through the David Lynch Foundation, Cameron Diaz and uh, Jim Carrey and uh, Katy Perry, Perry, Russell Brand. I mean, it just, there's a long, long list. So yeah, um, it's amazing. So many people learn transcendental meditation. In my book, Maharishi and Me, I go into great detail about Deepak Chopra, Doug Henning, Andy Kaufman, and and the Beatles, uh, Mia Farrow, Mike Love, and many others. And when we talk about contemporary meditation and mindfulness for this century and the work that you do through the divine revelation method, talk a little bit about your process and and what you guide people to discover. Well, divine revelation is about having a connection with spirit with a capital S or God or universal spirit, whatever you want to call it, uh, is being able to have a direct connection with that, being able to have two-way conversations with that divine presence within your higher self, divine beings of light, ascended masters, angels, archangels, to be able to have the experiences of divine light, divine love, divine presence, to be able to have amazing experiences of, uh, of that wholeness and that oneness that we can experience when we're in contact with our higher self, but also to be able to listen to the still small voice of God within, to be able to listen to our intuitive self, our higher self, and to be led by spirit, to be guided by that inner voice, to be able to live our true potential, express ourselves in, express our true selves, to be able to realize our true selves, who we really are, not who we think we are. Mm. Which does that have to do with the diminishment of ego as well? I'm going back to what you were sharing when oh, we first yeah. spoke. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's interesting because in a sense, the, In a sense, you become who you really are and who you really are is so much bigger and so much more powerful and so much more loving than the ego. So you you become your true self, in fact. Yeah. 
And somebody who's interested in exploring more, would you suggest they read your books, that they take a, a course with you or attend a workshop? Yeah, I think it's best to start with the books. If you want to learn how to listen to the inner voice, I would recommend Awaken Your Divine Intuition and Divine Revelation. If you'd like to get instant healing <laughs> for any difficulties that you have in your life, I would recommend yes. my book, Instant Healing. <laughs> and uh, I have another book on that, on that process, which is called Miracle Prayer. If you'd like to learn about subtle energy, I've written a couple books on that, The Power of Auras, The Power of Chakras. If you want to learn about Ascension and Ascended Masters, the book Ascension is a fantastic book with beautiful illustrations. I'm an artist, so I, I did the illustrations and also great, fantastic stories, really fun stories to read about Ascension and Ascended Masters uh, throughout the world. And of course, Maharishi and me, Seeking Enlightenment with the Beatles Guru, if you want to learn about the spiritual path, East, Eastern wisdom and Maharishi, uh, what it's like to be with a spiritual master, spiritual guru, and what that process is. And you can, yeah. And w what, what made you want to write this book in particular, Maharishi and me, sort of m <laughs> Uh, looking, looking at your life in the rearview mirror, yeah. and and a, a very impressionable period of your life as well. You were a young woman. Exactly. Strangely enough, I wrote the book because a New York editor asked me to write it. That was in 1998. So I wrote the book way back then, 20 years ago. But the editor, not long after she asked me to write the book, she left. She left McGraw Hill. So she wasn't there anymore. And so I was there. I had this book and my agent tried to sell it over and over. And there was something wrong with the book, the way that the angle that I had taken, the way I had written it, the way I had written the proposal. Finally, once I changed the whole angle and changed the whole focus of the book, my agent was able to sell it. So strangely, that's why I wrote the book, because someone told me to write it. <laughs> Well, I think it's a very interesting book. I mean, I think it, it, those, those people who know know of him or are interested in his work and the legacy um, uh, would find it interesting. Those who are new to mindfulness and meditation and want to learn more about the migration of the technology from India to the Western world would find it interesting. So I, I'm 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 so glad you wrote it. It's a it's a it's a good read. Um, the book we're talking about today with with author. Susan Shumsky is Maharishi and me, Seeking Enlightenment with the Beatles Guru. We're nearly out of time, and I want to give our listeners um, the contact information about where to find you, and that's at www.divinerevelation.org, on Twitter at Susan Shumsky, and on Facebook, Susan Shumsky. Susan, thank you so much for spending some time with me, introducing our listeners to um, Maharishi, those who don't know. Um, the technology, um, transcendental meditation, and and maybe um, you could just mention a little bit about the evolution in your view of meditation in this next century. Well, I mean, meditation is becoming more and more popular. I'm so happy to see that because I do believe that meditation can heal anything, really. And that it is the panacea of all ills. I've always believed that about meditation ever since I first learned it and first began practicing it in 1967. So I think as we move forward, there will be more and more uh, people meditating and thereby more and more peaceful world, more and more brotherhood, sisterhood, uh, more ecological awareness in the world, more awareness about what we put into our bodies, what we consume, and so on. So I, the world is becoming better and better. I'm very optimistic. Me too. And we're out of time. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, 
purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Dr. Danny Penman and Dr. Susan Shumsky, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.